that we enter this season of adoration, uh, but we also enter this season of darkness. It's not an easy one for many of us. It's dark outside and we look forward already to the days when the hours of light will outnumber the dark. And it is coming. But for now, you invite us to see your faithful presence with us here now in the dark. And as we respond to your invitation to wait, we rest in the promise that you are here with us in this time. Together, Lord, hear our prayer. There are places in ourselves where we know there is darkness, places where we keep things hidden, where we are afraid of being exposed. The darkness in us is waiting to be brought into your light, God. The darkness among us, in our homes and communities, is waiting to be brought into the light of your peace and your hope. Would you help us to open ourselves up to your forgiveness, to name the dark spots where we wait for your light? together. Lord, hear our prayer. God, we pray for those in our world and in our community who are in need of your hope, peace, and healing today. There are people we love with whom we disagree. Bring your peace. Help us as a community to witness to the power of your spirit to bring unity in the midst of differences. There are people we love who are sick and discouraged. People we know who carry grief with them through this season. People who live with loneliness. Would you bring your hope? Would you bring your comfort? There are places in the world where conflict and violence reign. Bring your peace, God. Remember the vulnerable and protect them. We are a country that continues to work through what it means to participate in the healing of our whole community, which is your dream for the world. And so we ask that you would also bring your reconciliation and that you would give us the courage and wisdom to align ourselves with it.
together. Lord, hear our prayer. God, we're so grateful for Advent, a season that recognizes the darkness and invites us to wait with anticipation for your arrival in our midst. We ask that you would adjust our perspective in this time, that you would help us to see you in the dark, to welcome the invitation and slow down. Amen. I am delighted to be joined on stage by my friends Randy Clawson and Amanda Dodge. Uh, both Randy and Amanda are part of our Lakeview community, and they're both part of the staff team of the Saskatchewan Division of Mennonite Central Committee, also known as MCC. MCC is a global relief organization that our church has a wonderful history with, and we are highlighting our partnership as a part of our December giving projects. Every December, we encourage our church community to respond to the prompts of Advent season with special generosity. And this has become a part of our, our annual rhythm. And even amidst this unusual season we find ourselves in, we wanted to maintain that consistency of encouraging our community to be generous in this season. And part of this emphasis is on prioritizing our generosity as our church towards global and local projects that are beyond the work of our church. And also part is, of this is an emphasis on recognizing the good work that is happening as a result of your generosity here at Lakeview Church. So last week, we highlighted how your generosity is making incredible things possible in our ministries, especially within Lakeview Kids, youth, and young adults. And you may recall, I had my friends Derek and Ryan up on stage as a reminder as well that there are so many other things that happen in our facility, important ministries that exist because of your giving to what's happening here at Lakeview. So thank you for that. This week, we are highlighting the important work that uh, MCC does locally in Saskatoon and area, especially the work that they do in the area of truth and reconciliation. Now, Randy, Truth and reconciliation has been a part of our conversation as a church for a few years. So for, for many of us, this is, this is familiar. But for those who are maybe not so familiar with the conversation, why, why is truth and reconciliation significant for the broader church, including Lakeview and MCC? Thanks, Kurt. Great question. Um, I would say it's, it's rooted in the heart and the intention of God. It's, um, I mean, we read in Scripture that... It, God is going to be renewing all things. I mean, that's, that's what we talk about here at Lakeview, and because it's, it's rooted in Scripture. Um, it really is one of the best ways of describing what God has done, is doing, and will do through Christ. So that's the, that's the starting point. In terms of how that impacts us, it, uh, it brings us to the, one of the, the greatest commandments that we hear from Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we think in terms of how we relate to indigenous neighbors here in Saskatchewan, we want to love them as ourselves by listening to them, what's important to them. We want to, and as we do that, we realize, um, for one thing, that this is a significant reality that Canada is, is wrestling with, is grappling with, what it means for us who are not indigenous to be in land which was and still is inhabited by indigenous people. So how do we relate to them? How do we understand that? And more specifically, the church has had a particular historic role 
in how things have gone off the rails over the last couple hundred years. And um, we are called as the church to be a part of moving forward in reconciliation. And so that's important for the church capital C in Canada. It's important for every congregation to understand that and to, to begin to, and, and to move forward in wrestling with that. And um, it's just been very exciting to see how here at Lakeview um, we have been leaning into that and, uh, and really yeah, starting to, to do the hard work. So there's, there's so many reasons, but it's rooted in the heart and the intention of God. Yeah, and I agree. It has been encouraging, I would say, as a church, as we've grown in this area. And, and one thing that we as leadership would recognize is that MCC has actually played a really important part in helping us like, engage in this conversation as we've tackled questions of truth and reconciliation. You've helped us because you equip us, you teach us, you've, you've done a lot of the hard work, you've gone ahead of us. And so, Amanda, I'd like to kind of tease that out a little bit more. Like, we as a church love working with MCC because you have helped us. You've, you've created opportunities for us to be engaged in this work and other work. You create learning opportunities for us. So, so we love the partnership. We feel like MCC has so much to offer us. But just tell us a little bit from your perspective, why is partnership important for MCC? Thanks, Curtis, and we're so grateful uh, for the partnership we have with Lakeview and that it's strengthening. MCC is a ministry of and for the churches. We've always had a symbiotic relationship with churches. The churches commission us to go out, and we need their prayer support, their engagement in the work, and their financial support. And then we serve the churches by bringing teaching, and like you were just mentioning, Curtis, we build bridges between the church and the community. So we bring teachings that we receive from the community and we create service and learning opportunities for the church. So what's so exciting about our partnership with Lakeview are our many areas where we have shared priorities. Um, MCC's mandate is to do relief, development, peace building and justice around the world, but here at home. Uh, for decades, we've had local program uh, that have responded to needs and invested in peace building and community development right here in Saskatoon and across Saskatchewan. And our areas include Indigenous Neighbours that we're focusing on this morning and the Ministry of Reconciliation. We also do work in community development with a youth program uh, in the Meadow Green area here where we work mainly with refugee and Indigenous kids from low-income families who face a lot of systemic barriers. And so that program supports families at risk, which we know is really at the heart of Lakeview's local service as well. We have a migration and resettlement program where we work with churches and partners to bring refugees to Canada and support them through resettlement. Uh, and we have a growing uh, priority around creation care. So we have such shared areas of how we, uh, our approaches to loving neighbor, welcoming stranger, and uh, acting justly. And so this partnership is so significant for us. It's such a gift uh, to work with a church who's already learning and, act, and acting in these areas, shared areas of focus, uh, and has such a posture of readiness around generous giving and uh, continued and strengthened engagement. Um, the financial gift is significant to us. Uh, we have to raise funds to do the ministry work that we do. Uh, our budgets have been under some pressure, and so this gift allows us to continue to do the ministry work to which we feel called. So we're so thankful. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that because we are thankful as well. 
And yeah, we're, we're, we're happy that we're including MCC in our giving projects this year. I've said to both Randy and Amanda, kind of like, you know, uh, behind the scenes, I, I feel like this is the beginning. I feel like we're giving $5,000 this year, and my hope would be that that would grow significantly in years to come. But, you know, Randy, you know, tell us a little bit more, because you, you've been integral for our church in terms of breaking ground in this conversation on truth and reconciliation and helping us learn what it means to be good neighbors and to help get to know our indigenous neighbors. So um, you've been a part of our, of our past, but we're also looking forward to joining more with you in what's ahead. And so tell us a little bit about your specific ministry with MCC and how these funds are gonna help make that possible, but also what other opportunities we can expect to support you and get involved in the work that you do. Thanks, Kurt. Yeah, and, and I want to say, first of all, that it is so incredibly humbling and encouraging and affirming to have a congregation that is ready to, to have the conversations and to invest in this. Um, it really, it, it goes deep um, for me, so just very grateful for that. So my work is two-pronged, uh, really. It's, it's working with churches like Lakeview, um, throughout Saskatchewan that are ready to start the conversation or to take the next step in learning. And, um, you know, as we know, I mean, everywhere you go, the people are, on a very, are at very different places um, in this conversation and in this work. And so it takes a lot of sensitivity to find out what is the entry point, what is a good starting place to, to learn what does it mean to love our neighbor, to understand them, and then to take the next step uh, towards reconciliation. So a good part of my work, and especially over um, COVID, where we've had a lot more of this distancing, um, has been working with congregations and doing teaching, uh, preaching, and, uh, and uh, different kinds of workshops. Um, and then the other part of it, uh, the, the other necessary part of it, is building relationships and, and maintaining and stewarding relationships that we have with Indigenous communities and organizations. And, you know, as, as COVID allows, or, the, you know, um, COVID getting under control allows us to actually meet in person more. That has happened a little bit more, but we're still, it's still kind of iffy. A lot of Indigenous communities are um, still quite vulnerable. And so uh, that kind of contact is still, um, we need to go with care. But uh, so... Building relationships, maintaining relationships. Um, there's one specific story that MCC has been involved with for 40 plus years, and that has to do with Reserve 107, about an hour north of here, um, near Laird, Saskatchewan. An ongoing question of justice uh, in terms of land that was taken from, uh, from a community 100 plus years ago. But, but these things matter when it's, um, you know, when it's your community. And... Um, so those are the kinds of things I have been involved with, and what are the opportunities uh, for all of us as we uh, move move forward? Um, I am available uh, in doing informal uh, conversations and doing workshops and teaching. We have a number of different ways of of uh, getting that across, whether it's in small groups or you know larger larger setting. We've got a do-it-yourself. Um, we're calling it a, a Doctrine of Discovery self-guided tour, which is based on a number of public art installations here in Saskatoon. Now, I know it's a lot more fun to do that in summer or fall than it is when it's minus 20 outside, but it is something that can be done any time of year for a hardy Saskatoonian. Um, 
And uh, so anyway, so that's something that we've prepared over this last year. We, um, and then there's the, something that a number of people from the congregation have, have been a part of is the Kairos Blanket Exercise, which is a, a very um, powerful experiential workshop of working through 500 years of history of indigenous settler relations here in North America. And that's something that we are equipped and trained to, to put on, to bring to any community, uh, any, like a, a number of, of home churches might want to do that, or, or we might arrange that if there's groups here at the church. We do that in communities um, around the, the province as well. So there's, there's lots of learning opportunities. There's uh, particular events um, that, uh, uh, for partners that we're connected with, um, like a book launch. We will be having a, a new documentary launch sometime in early, uh, or late winter, early spring, um, that uh, a group that we're connected with has, has done a, 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 an amazing documentary about uh, a number of, uh, or an organization in Herschel, Saskatchewan, that has land where there are amazing teepee rings and uh, petroglyphs, um, evidence of indigenous culture going back hundreds, possibly thousands of years, similar as was just announced at Wanaskewin here. So this is a work that's been done for a number of decades. We've got a documentary that's coming out on this. And we've got, we're connected to all kinds of organizations that have these kinds of teaching opportunities. And then finally, what we want to move towards is more opportunity for connection directly with indigenous communities. And again, that has to be done carefully, sensitively, but um, finding those opportunities where, you know, people say, you know, how do I, if I want to go to a powwow or if I want to just go to a talking circle and, and hear people's stories, how, is there a way of doing that appropriately, sensitively? So we're working at ways of doing that in, in, um, that is authentic to who we are, to who the, the uh, communities would be, and, and that respects uh, what's going on there. Um, it's been a wonderful thing to be able to keep on developing relationships with the Beardies community, and Kurt and Tara have been a significant part of that as well. Um, but there are other communities as well that we are in relationship with and want to keep on building. Yeah, well, and one of my favorite things of working with MCC, oh, lost my mic, Chris, sorry, bud. Um, uh, one of the things that I love working with MCC, with Randy in particular, is the way in which, of course, the work you do is important and thoughtful and really like well-prepared, but also just so relationally emb embodied. You know, when we first went to, to Beardies, this is before Randy was actually on staff with MCC, uh, we, you would just name drop, oh, we know Randy, and you just had doors open in all corners of the community because that was just the way he existed over time, nurturing authentic connections and relationship and honoring people. And so we are, we are grateful, Amanda, Randy, to, First of all, have you part of our church, to have you as brothers and sisters in Lakeview, we are grateful. And we know that our partnership between MCC and Lakeview, it's nothing new, but we are excited to deepen our work together and to continue to work as we together join God, like you said, Randy, in the renewal of all things and the good work that God is doing in and around our community. And so you as a community can expect more invitations and opportunities to support what they do and also to get involved. And of course, to continue as a church to support them in prayer. And so would you please just give them a round of applause and thanks so much for coming to share today. We thanks, really appreciate it. So uh, this year, uh, we have giving goals, targets that we've set before our community, and, and they are, they're lofty to some degree, 
uh, but they are faith-filled and they are hopeful. And so we just want to be transparent about what it is that we are striving for as a community. And so I'll just review uh, what those goals look like. I just want to highlight that the total goal, $355,000, the first $55,000 that we receive will go towards our global and local projects. So we are very committed to those projects as first and foremost within our giving. And so just to highlight what those are, $40,000 we're hoping to raise for the work of Hands at Work in Africa. And we'll be hearing from Lynn in a couple weeks' time. $10,000 to support the work of sons and daughters as they work with foster care and kinship families and families at risk in Saskatoon. And we're, we're excited to hear next week from some of the, our Lakeview community members who are involved in the work of sons and daughters. $5,000 is going to support specifically the work that Randy does in his Indigenous Neighbors program. Amanda alluded to the fact that MCC is facing financial pressures and there's a new change in their programming where as individual workers, they need to fundraise for their specific ministry. And so we are committed to help making that possible. So $5,000 doesn't seem like a lot, but as we heard to Randy, it's going to make a big deal. And again, $300,000 is to support the ongoing work of our church. And this is, this is our operational giving. So this is not above and beyond our regular monthly giving. This is just the name. December is historically a big month for our church. And so we invite you to give generously towards these projects. And just a reminder, you can give online, lakeviewchurch.com slash give. You can text 84321 and follow the prompts. And you can give that way with your credit card, or you can give at the give boxes or at the info desk uh, with cash or check. One more announcement, uh, well, actually two more announcements. With, with all this conversation around Advent, we just want to remind you that we are excited to have our Christmas Eve services in person in this room. It is going to be great. We will light candles and we will sing and we will remember the story of Jesus' coming together, which is going to be meaningful for us because we all, I think, missed being together in community last year. And so there are three services available. You can register online. And the reason we're asking you to register is because we just want to be mindful of capacity. The three o'clock service is limited to 150. So if you are navigating particular health needs, or if you know people in your life who are very un un uncertain about meeting in large spaces, encourage them to come to the three o'clock service where there'll be only 150 and our auditorium seats 711. So there's lots of space. The 4.30 and six o'clock services, we're limiting capacity at 350. So just about uh, half uh, capacity. And then we are hoping to be able to do some work to present an online version of the service sometime in the evening of that Sunday. It's gonna require some, you know, um, juggling some technical things, but we're, we're hoping to provide an online service that includes the music, the message, and all those things. So hopefully you can make use of that if you're not able to join us in person. Finally, if you're looking to get connected, we invite you to go online, lakeviewchurch.com slash connect, and fill out the connect form, and let us know how you can connect in community with us and with that in mind, why don't we just take a moment right now and, and why don't we stand and if you just want to like stretch your legs a little bit and as you're comfortable, greet those around you. If you're looking for somebody to say hi to, Nancy wants to say hi over here. If you're over in this section, David would love to say hi. And if you're in the back, Kelly would love, just go, go back to the shadows and find Kelly and say hi to him. Did you know that tomorrow the sun is going to officially rise at 9 o'clock a.m. in Saskatoon? And it is also going to set about five minutes before 5 p.m. tomorrow. About eight hours of daylight, and it's getting shorter, right? We know this. Now, I have a friend who spent some time living in Anuvik 
in the Northwest Territories. And I did a little research. And did you know that tomorrow, the sun is going to rise in Inuvik at 1.42 p.m. And it is going to set at 1.48 p.m. And then Anuvik is going to enter a season of 30 days where the sun will not rise. Not again. I didn't know this. This is crazy. Not again until January 6th when the sun will rise again at 1.43 p.m. before setting about 30 minutes later. Oh, mercy. That is darkness. I have two personal vivid memories of, of experiencing just, just true darkness in my life. But my, one time was when Tara and I were living in a, this little basement suite in Toronto. And in this basement suite, the bedroom was buried at kind of the back end of the suite. And the bedroom had no windows whatsoever. In fact, the apartment only had one window. And it was kind of a window that faced into a walkway between our house and the house next to us. So no light really came in any part of the day. If the lights weren't on, it was dark. But like in that bedroom, like I swear, there were times where I would wake up and it was like I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Like it was dark. Another time, I remember I was up working at Camp Kadish at Christopher Lake. And late at night, one night, I was trying to find my way back to my cabin. And I was, I was in a cabin that was kind of on the edge of the sort of like the property. And it was out of the reach of a few of the lampposts that we had around the property. And I remember there was no moonlight to help me. And so I was walking down a path I had walked many, many times. And I knew the way where I was going. But as I made my way down this familiar path, it was shocking to me how I just felt like I, just, I couldn't even see the bushes. I couldn't really see anything. And I remember feeling like, like it's, the path isn't that long. Like, where is the cabin? I was so confused. And I remember I looked up at the tree line and I could just see the faintest contrast of the trees and the sky. And then all of a sudden it was like my eyes adjusted and I recognized the cabin was literally right in front of me. Like I reached out my hand and held the railing of the stairs. Like it was right there. Utter darkness. You know, as Allison uh, shared last week, darkness is a part of the story of Advent. And I've come to find that living in this part of the globe where the days do get noticeably shorter this time of year, I actually think there's a bit of a gift in helping us experience the reality of the story that we are living in. And it was into the darkness of the Israelite exile that the famous prophecy uh, that was delivered in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, you may remember it from last week. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. You know, last week we lit the candle of hope to declare that amidst the darkness, a message of hope has come. And today we lit the candle of peace because peace is central to the promise. 
The promised Messiah will rule as the Prince of Peace. His authority will result in, in equality and justice for everyone. This hope-filled prophetic word, it's actually a continuation of other messages that have already been, been delivered in the book of Isaiah. Earlier in chapter two, the people were given this incredible vision of a coming time of peace for the world. It says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills and, uh, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. It's an amazing vision for the world. Mediation among warring nations, soldiers pounding their tools of violence into tools for gardening. It's an incredible vision of peace. But I, I just can't help but wonder how that message landed upon a, a people group who were under the domination of a brutal empire. What does it mean to receive a hope-filled message of peace among the nations when you are in exile? And what did it mean for the early church to believe that Jesus is the prophetic message, that in him it was coming true? What did it mean to believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the one whose government and peace will never end, the one who will rule with fairness and justice for all eternity? What did it mean to embrace that promise when you are living under the darkness of the Roman Empire in the first century? And what does it mean to embrace this promise in our time when darkness is still present among us? What do we mean when we declare that the hope of Advent is the hope of coming peace of God in the world? And this is where we must remember that Advent is not so much about remembering, but primarily it is about anticipating. Yes, we do remember and we celebrate that Christ has come. He arrived in the quietness of the dark and he declared that light is breaking into the darkness. His arrival signaled that hope is not lost. The wonderful counselor has come to establish his kingdom of justice and peace. We do remember and celebrate this truth at Advent. But we also recognize that the kingdom is here and not yet. The kingdom is taking ground. We know where things are headed, but today the kingdom is not fully realized. Not yet. So Advent is our reminder that we wait. We anticipate the time when those promises of Isaiah will be fully unleashed in our world in the age to come when Christ returns. We wait for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth as Revelation declares and there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. But in the meantime, Right now, we still live 
amidst the darkness. Israel had to learn what it means to embrace a promise of peace when they are living in exile. The early church had to learn what it means to embrace a promise of peace when they were living under the darkness of the Roman Empire. And we too must learn what it means to embrace the promise of peace while we are navigating our own darkness. Because you see, the promise of God's peace is our hope for the future. But it is also our guide for how we are to live right now amidst the darkness that we are facing in our time. You know, back, back when Tara and I were living in that little apartment I was telling you about, I faced something that I've, I've never really dealt with before in my life, before or since. I experienced this really unsettling stretch of anxiety and fear while living in that apartment. And it was really strange. It was very uncomfortable. And I remember it actually got to the point where I was like messaging people back home in Saskatchewan, asking them for prayer as I navigated this, this heaviness that I was facing that I just couldn't understand. I couldn't name. I, couldn't, I just couldn't really get it. But I, I was feeling it from living in this dark, cramped, tiny place. And Tara and I, we I had to start sleeping with a light on. Uh, but even still, I remember feeling this, just this sense of this like ominous fear, uncertainty, unsettledness. I wasn't afraid of anything in particular. I was, I was just afraid. I was just unsettled. I was just uncomfortable. And the darkness of the confinement, it just brought this unsettled feeling up in me. I think back upon that experience, and then I think about the times that we are in right now the darkness that we are facing, the darkness that is over us. It's not easy to identify. We want to identify it, don't we? We just so badly want to point to it and understand it and say, that's the cause. That's the reason of the things that I'm feeling. We, we want to we name it so that we can avoid it or we can make it somehow go away. The virus, that's the darkness. Racism, that's the darkness. The uncertain economy, injustice and poverty, climate change, politics, polarity. We, we try so hard to name it. But the problem is, is that somehow it pointing out the darkness, it doesn't resolve anything. The darkness we live with sometimes, it, it's ominous. It's elusive. It's unpredictable. And it's hard when you're fighting against an enemy that you can't take a swing at. So yeah, I can name like the virus is the problem or I can name that politics is the problem. But eventually what starts to happen is we start to feel like, you know what maybe it is? Maybe it's actually the people around us who are perpetuating the problem. You know, the virus is the darkness, but I can't attack the virus. But you know who I can attack? People who are responding to the virus differently than me or racism. That's the darkness. So where can I find people who are perpetuating my version of racism? Because they are the ones I'm fighting against. The economy. If the economy fails, we're all in trouble. So where are the people who are causing the problems to my version of the economy? And this happens when we live in a broken world where darkness is still present. We feel the heaviness of the darkness and we look for an enemy. We look for our people. 
to pull together and rally around us. And we look for other people, people we can point to them. They're the ones we stand against, us versus them. For those of us who trust God's story as revealed in Scripture, we must resist this response. When we feel the darkness around us, we must not give in to the temptation to take a swing at others around us. Rather, when we feel the ache of the darkness, we remember our calling to work towards peace with God. We trust that the vision of Isaiah is still before us. And we trust that through the child Messiah, the kingdom of peace is being ushered in. As Christ followers, we resist the way that darkness turns us against one another. And we resist the way that darkness separates us from one another. Instead, we embrace the vision of peace as the redemptive response to the darkness of our age. As Brueggemann says, peace is the end of coercion. Peace is the end of fragmentation. Peace is the freedom to rejoice. Peace is the courage to live an integrated life in a community of coherence. These are not simply neat values to be added on. They are a massive protest against the central values by which our world operates. The world depends on coercion. The world depends on fragmented loyalties. The world as presently ordered depends on these very conditions against which the gospel protects and to which it provides alternatives. You see, the way of peace is resistance to the status quo. When we feel the world pushing us into our corners, pushing us into our echo chambers, pushing us away from those who are different than us, we must resist and we must say no. The gospel brings us together. The gospel unites us. The way of peace calls us to serve and love and listen to those around us, especially those we disagree with, those we have friction with, those who are unlike us. Because remember, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together, not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. We are people who are pulled together in unity despite our differences. And when we feel the ache of division, let's not get discouraged. Instead, let's remember that this is our opportunity to practice the way of peace as a way of anticipating the future hope of total peace that is to come. And the Apostle Paul was fully aware that Christians need to navigate the realities of division among us. He says, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. This is what we do in the face of our brokenness. We forgive. 
We make allowances and room for each other's faults. We wrap ourselves in love and we keep to seek ourselves bound together in love. We do not allow darkness to turn us against one another. We do not allow ourselves to create an us and them among our family because we are one body. We are not unified because we all get along. We are not unified because we all think the same. We are unified because Jesus has bonded us together in God's family. So how do we do this? How, how can we embody the vision of peace while we navigate the realities of darkness around us? I, I want to offer a couple of just very practical steps that can maybe take us in that direction. Things that we can work on together with God towards peace among us. So when we come upon division, friction, disagreement, difference of opinions, even when we come upon questionable behavior among others in our community, what do we do? First, I want to suggest is that we pray for that person. Ask God to bless them, to care for them, to love them. And also ask God to help you see that person the way that God sees that person. Second, pray for yourself. Ask God to give you a soft, humble, gentle spirit. Also ask God to reveal your blind spots. Do you remember when Jesus talked about that whole, take the log out of your eye before you tend to the speck in your neighbor's eye? I think he meant it. Um, so spend some time asking God to reveal the logs in your life. Third, fill the gap with good assumptions. In every situation, there are all kinds of things you do not know about that person's story, that person's experiences, that person's motivations, that person's knowledge. So try to assume good. Prepare yourself to be surprised by the goodness of their ways. Imagine this. Assume that the Spirit is doing a good work in their life. And then finally, listen. Listen. Sit with others who are different than you and create space to hear their voice, to actually look into their eyes. Create space for others to share their heart and open yourself up to what they have to say. This is by no means a foolproof plan to make all division go away. In fact, I am absolutely certain that division will continue to be something we face and navigate as a church. But I do believe that we can engage with one another with a holy imagination, believing that it is possible to experience more and more of the peace that Advent promises. Because according to the New Testament, the dream of a liberator and the dream of peace is not merely a dream. The liberator is already present and his power is already among us. We can follow him even today, making visible something of the peace, liberty, and righteousness of the kingdom that he will complete. It has become possible for us in fellowship with him. Let us share in this new creation of the world and born again to a living hope, live as new men and women. Because the church is the place where the kingdom of peace begins. 
then we are invited to show the world a better way. We are invited to become a people who join together in love and peace and bring our divisions together in a beautiful union. And we have this possibility because the Messiah came into our reality. And he declared that his kingdom of peace is available to us. The Messiah walked among us and showed us what it looks like to embody the way of peace. And the Messiah gave his life and conquered death to declare that sin and darkness and brokenness are defeated and new life is possible. And so as a church, we need to remind ourselves of the story we are living in. And we do that through telling the story of Advent. And we also do that by every month coming together to the table to remember the body and the blood of Christ, the bread and the cup broken for us as we declare this truth. And we are invited to the table and find our place in God's kingdom of peace. And so this meal is an opportunity to receive life from God. And it is also our opportunity to lay our brokenness before God and to allow him to take away our guilt in exchange for his grace and mercy. So if you come today carrying burdens on, our, on your shoulders, you are invited to lay those down before the Messiah. If you feel the bitterness of anger and division eating away at your soul, you are invited to lay that down. If you are carrying the regrets of mistakes you have made, carrying the shame of your failures, you are invited to lay that down. This is a meal of healing and a meal of reunion. So as we take the communion here, a few instructions. If you did not receive a communion pod, uh, there should be some available towards the back uh, or you can find them near the entrances. If you just kind of snap this part, you can uh, take the top layer off and reveal the wafer, and then you'll take off the second layer and reveal the juice. Um, so I invite you to stand with me, and we're going to participate in a communal prayer together. So there's going to be words of prayer on the screen, and I will read the words in black, but I invite you to read with me as we all read uh, the words in red. So read with me. God of hope, make this bread the means of our rebuilding, this cup the medium of our transformation, this table the foundation of our renewal, and this community the place of our rebirth. We remember Jesus, who on the night before he died took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, take and eat. Whenever you do this, remember me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant, remember me. Gracious God, King of peace, source of love, we pray by your spirit, make us one who are many, make us whole who are divided, make us healed who are broken. And so we join with the family of the church around the world, declaring the body of Christ, the bread of life, the lifeblood of Christ, the cup of blessing. Let us eat and drink together for the strengthening of our faith and for the sake of the world. Go ahead and take of the elements, remembering what Christ has done.
One final prayer. We thank you, God, for breaking into our world and pouring hope, peace, joy, and love into our lives. We thank you, God, for this meal of thanksgiving and the stories of love, grace, and hope that it tells. Amen. Thank you.